Welcome to the Chai Break Podcast with your host, Shweta Ravi Shankar and Rama Rao, coming to you from New York City. Each week, we brew up conversations steeped in our cross-cultural experiences, growing up in India and moving abroad in our 20s. From feminism to fashion, colorism to colonialism, join us on our journey of becoming. With elements that almost every immigrant, irrespective of background, can relate to, we hope you enjoy our conversations and chime in along the way. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Chai Break Podcast. Let's kick off this week with the review of the week, coming to you from Nikki. She is from New York City. So this is what Nikki has to say. Shweta and Rama are the perfect podcasting pair. Their chemistry is palpable, as is their deep respect and admiration for one another. From the moment you begin listening, you feel like you're sitting on the couch with them in your living room. Whether they're talking about self-care, American versus Indian culture, their careers, motherhood, whatever, you want to keep listening and wish you could chime in alongside them. I've learned so much already about myself and other cultures from the first few episodes. And honestly, I can't wait to keep tuning in to learn more. Kudos to Shweta and Rama for already having an amazing podcast from episode one. That's no easy feat. Wow, thank you so much, Nikki. That's a very, very sweet and uh, rewarding review. You know, um, it's listeners like you and all of our listeners from across the globe that make us uh, better each week and keep motivating us to do better. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nikki. And thank you so much to all our audience and giving us such amazing feedback. Hi, Shweta. Hello, hello, Rama. <laughs> What's going on with you? Um, All good, all good. Um, It's been a busy back-to-school week here oh, in the yes. East Coast for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yep, we're back to running around, you know, between work and packing lunches <sighs> and, you know, the routines and all of that. Uh, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. already thinking of the week's lunch. Today is Sunday as we're recording. And my mind is only thinking about what's lunch for tomorrow and the whole of the next week. (laughs) That is so true. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Well, I think we're talking about a topic that's pretty much so broad that we'll have to probably phase it out for over the next few episodes. Mm -hmm. Our topic for today is sustainability. Sustainability and sustainable living rooted in our Indian culture. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when we talk about sustainability and when this idea for this uh, podcast came up, Mm -hmm. it's so relevant today, um, especially, you know, with everything going on with uh, climate change and the depletion of general resources, you know, from Mother Earth. Right. But, you know, growing up, if you think about it, Rama, this was never, uh, you know, we didn't even know the word sustainability even existed. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the way we grew up in our culture, in our families, uh, you know, it was sustainability was a way of life that Mm -hmm. was just the way of life. You know, we didn't know any better. Absolutely. It was integrated into our upbringing, right? Like Mm -hmm. don't waste this, you know, don't throw away these things or, you know, reusing things. Mm -hmm. Upcycling. Yeah. And buying clothes only during like festival season, right? You don't just go to a store and like, I'm bored, so I'm going to go shop. Uh Or online shopping never existed, (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But the practice has been deep-rooted culturally for us, but the, we kind of recently came to know that all of that was towards sustainable living, but nobody really called it sustainable living. That was mm-hmm, the way to live. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, you know, um, 
So what do you mean by a sustainable lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to the very basic definition of it. And according to the United Nations Environment Program, it defines a sustainable lifestyle as one with a holistic approach Mm -hmm. that's embedded throughout our entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So they say, they go on to say that creating sustainable lifestyles means rethinking our ways of living, how we buy and what we consume. But it's not only limited to that. Mm -hmm. It also means how, you know, to rethink how we organize our daily life altering the way we socialize, exchange, Mm -hmm. share, educate, and build identities. It's about transforming our societies towards more equity and living in balance with our natural environment. How beautifully put, right? That's really nice. That's a perfect definition. And, you know, when we say that we have to uh, transform our societies towards more equity, because, you know, trying to give an equal importance to every living, breathing thing on this planet Mm -hmm. and having that balance with our natural environment. And it's so important because, you know, by protecting our ecosystem and preserving the natural resources, we're just helping the future generation, right? I mean, basically, I think sustainability, another way of defining it is uh, meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet theirs. 100%. uh, Depleting the resources reducing wastage and creating harmful effects in the world, especially climate change, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a much needed practice. And we never even thought about this until probably a decade or two ago, mm-hmm. in the West, especially in the Western civilization, where uh, there has been an increased amount of, uh, you know, kind of turnover of products, increased amount of wastage. We're talking about more of landfills. Um, you know, we're talking about toxic waste in the sea now. And so on. So these things have just piled up and we're hearing this buzzword more so recently. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about wildfires, um, you know, natural resources being depleted. So I guess sustainability has become more of this common terminology now. But yeah, you were absolutely right. Growing up, I think that was the way we lived. You just did not deplete resources, you just conserve the resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was a few years ago, you Mm -hmm. know, when I started educating myself more about it. Mm -hmm. And whether it was, you know, from the basics, you know, eliminating the use of uh, single use plastic and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And when I got thinking, I'm like, oh, all of what we're trying to do, like, you know, save water, like Mm -hmm. don't use plastic, reuse, upcycle, you know, Mm -hmm. don't shop as much, you know, buy organic produce. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff, you know, we did growing up. So Mm -hmm. we're going to touch upon some of the practices that, you know, we saw in our part of our everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking like we did that, but then there was a time period where we stopped doing that, right? Even in India, Indian culture, There was a time period growing up, we had, you know, the milkman delivering milk, you know, fresh milk to their homes. Uh, We didn't have these plastic cartons or Mm -hmm. we didn't have these cartons or we didn't have these plastic uh, cans that we have these days. None of that. It was in bottles that was being delivered and he'll come and take the bottles away and he'll deliver again fresh milk Mm -hmm. and things like that. But then why did it change? Because I think we moved from a environment of that kind of a conserving resource environment to a very productivity-based environment, right? Everything had to be done quick. Everything had to last long. 
then refrigeration came into existence. Yeah, so, so it was definitely we had to, a Western influence, you know. There yeah, was a lot absolutely. of Western influence. Yeah, absolutely. So now we had to preserve everything longer. So mm-hmm. then start putting things into it. Just keep things growing longer. Mm-hmm. So and then the, what does that mean? Then you have the electricity for the refrigeration. And now mm-hmm. we're slowly, slowly adding things to the pile. And yeah. so I think that's where the switch happened. Yeah. So when we went from an environment of resourcefulness to an environment of productivity based, Mm -hmm. thereby depleting the resources. Yeah, so nicely said. Yeah. So let's start like, you know, sustainability. When I think of sustainability, I think of my mother and grandmother in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. Because sustainability began in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you and I primarily grew up in plant, you know, people consuming plant based mm-hmm. meals. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has to do a large part in creating a sustainable environment, especially in today's world, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, um, meat eating, you know, and the poultry industry has just become so commercialized and, you know, it is producing so many harmful chemicals Mm -hmm. that it's not doing anybody any good. But back in the day, we ate seasonal. Like today, the stress of eat seasonal, eat Mm -hmm. local, farm to table. Mm -hmm. That's all we actually knew. You know, if I think back, (laughs) you know, your vegetable vendor till date in front of my mother-in-law's house, my mother's house, I know Uh they come every single day and they're like, they actually, you know, chant. It's like a little thing. They say all the vegetables that they have for that day. Mm-hmm. And the women in the households, oh, okay, the, you know, the vegetable guys come and they come out and they see what they want. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, the vegetable vendor, the vegetables he has on his cart for the day mm-hmm. actually directly came from the wholesale market. Yeah, yeah. That the farmer directly came to the farmer, harvested the vegetables from his farm. Yeah brought it to the wholesale market and all these when vendors bought it from him yeah. and then they went off dispersed into different you know community neighborhoods in the city right. and they're selling it right you know so you can imagine how direct farm to table is and today you know the accessibility for farm to table especially in urban environments like the way we live in like you know in new york city and you know so many places around the world it's much more harder you know we try our best right we go mm-hmm. to the farmers market here in union square or we sign up for our csas in new york you know right. but still it's an effort that you need to make but back in the day that was the only way of life yeah absolutely oh i totally remember what you're saying it was the produce was so fresh mm-hmm. in fact i remember the the vendor telling uh, my mom that, you know, he just got these vegetables like last night from Mm -hmm. the farmer. Exactly. So literally it was that fresh and he delivered it to us the next morning. Mm -hmm. Like how fresh could that get? And now we have the terminology for it called farm to table. (laughs) But farm to table was the way of life. There was no other alternative. So there was no like buying vegetables a week in advance, storing them in the refrigerator. And, you know, putting an expiry label for things. It was always like buy fresh that day, cook and, you know, cook limited quantities, eat without wasting and, you know, move on. Mm -hmm. No, even even in that, uh, you know, when you talk about like buying just for that day, I remember going back to, you know, the milk story that you were saying. Because growing up, I remember... Um, the household help that we have, mm-hmm. the same lady had a space, you know, right behind our house mm-hmm. and she actually raised cattle. Mm-hmm. So she would actually bring her cow wow. twice a day. Yeah. Once at like 6.30, 7 a.m. time for coffee yeah. and again at 4 p.m. 
and we would give her a little stainless steel bucket uh-huh. she would milk the cow and directly give it to us and then we would take that milk and put it on the stove and like boil the milk wonderful that was the norm yeah yeah and the same milk you know the cream of that milk was used to make butter and the same milk was used to make yogurt you know everything was there was no packaging Aye. so that itself talks about so much you know so much to sustainability mm-hmm. whether it was our vegetables whether it's you know all dairy products there was absolutely zero packaging i remember that so well yeah i remember the making the butter at home mm-hmm. yummy mm-hmm. because you know when we talk about uh, all of these simple practices right yeah. ultimately it's about reducing food miles right? right food miles is what a rough measure of how far your food travels between production mm-hmm. to the final consumer that is you yeah and um recently it's almost unheard of but it was actually inherently part of the indian vernacular you know always yes absolutely i mean it's now we are see hearing all these names food miles farm to table and stuff but this was integrated in the part of the mm-hmm. um indian uh you know day to day living practice mm-hmm. and again we're talking about the time when we were growing up right yeah. but again the times just changed in between because of a lot of the globalization right uh western influence and productivity based environment so we're not seeing a similar approach even now mm-hmm. but i know that back then growing up this was the practice but even now actually i think um you know in in the cities probably the lifestyle is a lot different very similar to the lifestyle here yeah. in new york and us or other western countries mm-hmm. but i'm sure in the villages still in little towns and villages still the same practices are yeah. being uh practice on a day to day basis the farm to table concept is integrated in mm-hmm. that culture mm-hmm. in their living um the food miles or reducing the food miles is part of the day to day um you know living yeah. in yeah. still in those areas absolutely mm-hmm. and you know the other i remember having this other practice right we used to i like you said making some that same milk you make the butter i still do actually even now at home one of the practices that we do is making yogurt at home from mm-hmm. the milk mm-hmm. i mean we don't go and buy the danan yogurt or whatever is in that plastic little containers yeah. we've stopped doing that for like years because it's such a simple thing and we mm-hmm. some of the practices we can still keep up in this productivity based environment definitely definitely um, like this yeah no and another big thing you know we talk about so much about conserve reuse recycle mm-hmm. and uh, some of the simple practices that i still remember was you know our parents constantly telling us to turn off the lights mm-hmm. turn off all your electronic devices when not in use mm-hmm. and even do you remember rama like now you know our internet is on 24 by 7 back in the day the internet modem would turn off Yes. So when you wanted to use it, you would turn it on. Right. And you had to wait for it to connect. And you remember the sound it would make. <laughs> and you know it would finally yeah. connect, and you would use it. Yeah. You know, so it we were all about conserving all the time, and that was just how it was. Whether it is you know you're worried about your electricity bills or whatever it was, it was such a good practice. Yes, actually, you're absolutely right. I think part of the reason why. you know the sustainability practices where being successfully practiced is also because to conserve the money right mm-hmm. that is being mm-hmm. spent on all of these all of these were considered a necessary waste of exactly. money exactly as much as money anybody had it could be even somebody who has a lot more money a rich person or middle middle class person or somebody mm-hmm. who's just making ends meet everybody 
grew up with yeah. this concept of conserving yeah. money. I think that was also rooted in the Indian culture. Definitely. So I guess that did help in a certain way cater towards uh, sustainable practices and sustainable living. Yeah. But yeah. right now, I think the times are also changing where because of globalization, which is a fantastic thing that's happened to India and to you know developing countries, nations like India, there is a lot more monetary benefits also coming along with that. And we're seeing more towards, again, the productivity-based environment, which is probably why we're also seeing more of wastage as well. True, true, yeah. true. But I do mm-hmm. remember vividly what you're saying, even the internet, even now to date, my mom, and we live in New York, and my mom still tells me to conserve electricity, turn the internet modem on. <laughs> you know, it's it, times have not changed that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even uh, when you talk about food waste, right, like mm-hmm. today, especially in America, like the biggest waste that happens is actually food waste. Mm -hmm. And we grew up repurposing leftover food and Mm -hmm. it was a trait of a good homemaker. You know, growing up, like if you could reuse, like I remember like, you know, if you had like leftover dal from something you made, you would just add it as a filling in your chapati, you know, in your your roti dough, in your bread dough and you would just make like a masala chapati out of it. Like there was always something like leftover rice was turned into, you know, lemon rice and other things and, there was constantly a reuse and it was a cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think we were privileged enough that we could afford having house help. But even they, like, you know, any kind of good food that, you know, is not going to be consumed by the family was definitely passed on to them. And they, you know, so they, even they got a nutritious meal. So it was all like, you know, a trickle down effect of yeah. how we lived. And, you know, I mean, like you're absolutely right. Recycling clothes, right? When the clothes get small, mm-hmm. it went to the younger siblings. In fact, hand-me-downs was the way to live. Definitely. In Indian mm-hmm. households, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if something tore, the first thing is fix it. Here we actually, you know, we just give it away or, you know, we just throw it. But mm-hmm. it used mm-hmm. to be reused. Yeah. And uh, like old saris were converted into quills, you know, T-shirts into mopping cloths, you know, mopping the floor with that like old t-shirts. That happened a lot in my family. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And then no tissues. Handkerchiefs were used for mm-hmm. like common cold and mm-hmm. stuff. There was no like tissues. There was no waste of paper mm-hmm. and so on. So you're absolutely right. And also, um, you know, like thrift store buying was, you know, when we used to buy uh, in sales a lot of the stuff and we used to buy secondhand recipe books, right? And novels. Yes. It's like for pennies. I still remember that. Mm-hmm. No, and I, when you said handkerchiefs, it just reminded me because I still have pictures of me going to school. Mm-hmm. And you know, do you remember on your uniform with a little oh, safety yeah, yeah, pin? Yeah. Yeah, your yeah, pair, yeah. your mom would actually <laughs> pin a, a handkerchief there. Right, right. You know, so right. when you needed to use it, you just like blew your nose or did whatever and right. it was right there. Yeah. You know, and even like the concept of, you know, disposable diapers, for example, that came in much later because we were in cloth diapers and cloth diapers back in the day, you know, we used to call them nappies. Mm -hmm. And you would know if there's a child in the house because your, you know, clothing line outside would be filled with them. Correct. And, you know, somehow like, you know, you had and they were all white. I don't know how our parents did it, but even (laughs) for little children, but all our cloth diapers were pure white cotton. Yeah. And even when when you talk about books, right, going to engineering college, I still remember before the semester starts, we would all have this one store in Bangalore where we would go and Mm -hmm. buy secondhand books, Mm -hmm. you know, buying, like paying full price and buying a book. Like, of course, you know, we could go and uh, 
you know, borrow books from the library. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, you know, if you wanted a book, you know, want to hold hold on to it for longer, it was always a secondhand book. And those stores actually, you know, have been there for like eons now. Right. right? Yeah. And I even remember like, you know, talking about books is another thing was even like we talked about the vegetable vendors coming in front of your house. Similarly, the guy, the vendor to recycle your newspaper and your books, he also, and when I was growing up, would come in front of our house. Mm-hmm. So you could actually give him, you know, your old bottles. Oh, you could yeah, give him, you know, that. plastic. Yeah. Like, I don't think we had plastic, but definitely like glass yeah. and paper. Yeah. You know, and every little neighborhood has that, um, you know, uh, paper weighing, you know, uh, place where you basically go and give your month's worth of newspapers. He weighs it and he pays you money for it, you know, because he's taking it to recycle and he pays you. Yeah. It was such a beautiful system that was Mm -hmm. functioning so well. Mm -hmm. I think what has happened is that our modern living has, as much as it's given us so many benefits, has kind of removed some of these practices mm-hmm. even in India and in developing nations that mm-hmm. used to have these practices. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know, Shweta, I don't know whether we see those these days, but I do remember very vividly what you're talking about. I think there are still some neighborhoods, you yeah. know, like um, where I grew up when I was born in Mysore, like two hours away from Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Definitely it's still there. And even now in like some of the older neighborhoods in Bangalore, at least, you know, I do see them. Yeah, You know, so it's not lost. And I do feel like a lot of people are kind of, you know, going back to their roots Mm. because they see it as not only a benefit to Mother Nature, but also a benefit to themselves. Yes, it's a lot. What's encouraging is that what we used to call a sustainable living and practice in India, and it's still there in some parts, like you said, but I think that is increasingly we're seeing that in our Western civilization. Now Mm -hmm. there's an awareness, right? Mm -hmm. There's a growing Mm -hmm. awareness to actually live a sustainable lifestyle in the Western world. And I think that is so encouraging. We're still not there. We're taking baby steps towards it. It's just the fact that we're able to put terms like sustainable living, food miles, etc. And actually, you know, us becoming aware of these terms Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. is so, so encouraging. Yeah, 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 yeah. And another big thing was, you know, water, right? Water right. was viewed as such an important and valuable resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know at what time of the year, but there's actually a festival, a little thing celebrated. And in Canada, it's called Neer Tumbohapa. Neer oh. is water. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is um, the day before the festival, every single utensil you had in your bathroom, Mm -hmm. like, you know, first of all, all of it would be cleaned out. Like if you had mugs and buckets and whatever, everything would be cleaned Mm -hmm. and be filled with, you know, water. I see. And you would use that water. And another big thing was rainwater harvesting, right? It's been done in India for ages and ages. It's been done in India. And Another big thing, another big thing is bucket baths. Mm. I mean, we didn't even have the concept of a, of a shower back mm-hmm. then, you know. So I still remember on a weekday, on a regular day, when you're just taking a body bath, it would be one bucket of water. Mm-hmm. And when you oiled your hair, it was two buckets of water. Mm-hmm. And that was just the norm. And that's how it was. And I feel like if you think about it, it was such a good way of like, because, you know, obviously having a shower is very relaxing. But if you think about about the amount of water you waste, you know, whether you leave it running when you're in a shower 
or even when you know people are brushing their teeth they have that habit right mm-hmm. they just let the water running mm-hmm. simple practices like this you know like as annoying as it was when our parents constantly told us <laughs> to turn off the tap and turn off the yeah. lights and do this and do that yeah. like now when you look back you're like oh my god like that's how we should be living there was you know so much meaning in what they said mm-hmm. absolutely i agree with you yeah. yeah and and you know um i think it was a few years ago mm-hmm. there was this um do you remember the woven baskets in which we used to carry our uh, tiffin boxes oh, our lunch yeah, boxes to yeah. school yeah, yeah. do you remember how that became a big trend here and yeah. everybody were carrying that bag yeah. and i remember once um sending something to my mom and she's like oh you mean like your lunch butti butti is like your little yeah. woven bag and i was like laughing and i'm like she's like now that is also fashion you know <laughs> that was her comment you know yeah. and even now the tiffin boxes stainless steel there was no yeah. concept of plastic you know yeah at homes now we're we're very conscious right now we're we're not using plastic at all for mm-hmm. lunch boxes mm-hmm. yeah because of all the leaching of the plastic into the food as well mm-hmm. in addition to sustainable living because we don't want to throw more plastic into the landfills that's right so yeah it's mm-hmm. um what we're doing right now was done for eons yeah in yeah. culturally absolutely You had you were talking to me something interesting when we started the talk about just before we started the podcast about uh some research you found about indigenous people, right? Definitely the sustainability. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Because I feel like when we talk about sustainability and sustainable living, of course, you know, these were practices we grew up seeing up close in our families as children, mm-hmm. but we cannot not talk about indigenous people because I feel like indigenous people across the world, right? Mm-hmm. You know, today modern man might look at them as oh, they're primitive, they're backward, they're superstitious, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And of course, they might not be as advantaged, you know, uh, and literate as us today, but the knowledge that they have and the tremendous understanding they have of the ecosystems mm-hmm. and how to sustain them mm-hmm. is fascinating and this applies across cultures across the globe mm-hmm. you know so there was one one research done by uh, mr sita khan mahapatra in 1992 in india mm-hmm. and he was saying he brought up a very beautiful point and he said the indigenous people the people of the land look upon life as a gift to be celebrated and Absolutely. that this ancient earth is one to be praised and worshiped yeah and that is why right in indian culture you know in hindu culture we say bhutai bhu is your earth you know and we consider mother earth mm-hmm. bhumi you know yeah. and whether you're a farmer whether you're a dancer whether you're doing anything right you kind mm-hmm. of bow down to mother earth because you in our culture it's revered as a as holy you know you consider it godly you know because they are the one this mother earth is the one that's giving you resources you know to actually sustain your life on earth absolutely right so it's yeah. considered very very um important in our culture right and that's what he goes on to say that you know they still look upon life as a gift and uh, not something to be objectified you know because today i think the amount of abuse man has done on the earth, earth. you know we almost consider it like a possession you know an mm-hmm. object for exploitation mm-hmm. but they considered it and still today the indigenous people consider it a living entity and an object of reverence and the relationship they have with the earth is considered very very sacred 
And I think we definitely have a lot to learn from them as we, you know, look into our own practices and how we can change them. Yeah, like you mentioned, I think modernization has had its good effects, but has also wreaked havoc when it comes to Mother Earth Mm -hmm. and exploiting the resources of Mother Earth. So I think it's about time when we all reverse and look back as to how, you know, certain cultures really adopted uh, practices such that it stopped any degradation of the environment Mm -hmm. and helped Mm -hmm. Mother Earth flourish. And I think that's where we need to go back because this world is for everyone. It's not just for humans. It's there for every animal, every living, breathing entity has its part in this world, has a what as an inch or whatever area for it in this world. Mm-hmm. So I think humans have just taken over and we have kind of as a civilization exploited and we're now exploiting resources in the sea. Like, you know, they say by 2030, there's not going to be a single fish, you know, for consumption. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing the number one um, restaurant in the world, right? I think it's Levin Madison Park going vegan mm-hmm. because, you know, very soon there's not going to be enough meat to consume because yeah. of, you know, this degradation again. So we're seeing the effects of our exploitation and we really have to look into the future and be visionaries to really stop uh, this exploitation. So going back to practices by indigenous cultures, going back to practices that we grew up in mm-hmm. is the way to go. Definitely. And I guess we are seeing uh, more awareness in that regard. So yeah. very nicely said, Shweta. So, but, so that brings us towards the end of our segment, which is how are you and I incorporating mm-hmm. sustainable practices in, mm-hmm. in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll go first. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, the usual stuff that all of us are doing Recyclable items go into recycle and go for recycling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, food items, anything that has uh, va- that can serve as a manure goes into the composting bins, mm-hmm. gets composted mm-hmm. and goes into the garden. Raising and growing your own veggies, right? Yeah. And yeah. that is probably one of the number one things. Composting, putting it back into the earth, growing your own uh, fruits and vegetables, Uh, which is what I'm doing. I have a nice little garden. I'm growing my own veggies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Again, you know, where you're resourcing, are you resourcing organically? Why? Because pesticides are killing the insects and insects are a part of the environment that we need. We need the bees for pollination. We need those insects, you know, for a healthy ecosystem. So trying to avoid anything that has pesticides on it, going organic, uh, getting milk from the you know Amish farmers as an Amish market that I go and mm-hmm, get. Mm-hmm. Um, they deliver milk like how we they used to do back in India, fresh milk overnight. So that's what I do. They yeah. deliver milk in glass bottles to a nearby place, and we pick it up from there. Making anything as possible at home, making your own butter, yogurt, uh, whatever you can in whatever quantity that we can make at home. So I tend to do that. And uh, like I mentioned, composting is a big thing as well. So those are some of the things about taking plastic out of our home. We don't have any more plastics. We Mm -hmm. use glass or stainless steel. Mm -hmm. Trying Mm -hmm. to conserve electricity. That's always been a challenge, though, with three kids in the house who always want (laughs) their desktops on. Yeah, but uh, we're trying. That is where I think we're having our biggest challenge, but we're trying. Mm -hmm. And what about the practices you do, Shweta? Yeah, I think 
one of the biggest things has been plastic, you know, yeah. just cutting out plastic as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think another big thing I did early on was, you know, just uh, teaching the same to Dia, you know, about what plastic does. And I think there's this great book um, actually about an Af- African-American woman. Her name is Istau Sise. It's mm-hmm. called One Plastic Bag. And the story actually is a true story of when the author went to Africa and she read about this woman, mm-hmm. she what she actually did was the area where she lived in, mm-hmm. slowly people, you know, from using woven baskets, they started using plastic bags. And mm-hmm. they were not educated that, you know, plastic bags cannot be re- recycled. So mm-hmm. they started throwing it everywhere. And then soon enough, the goats, their own cattle started eating it oh, and dying yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. And that's when they were like, oh, my God, what is happening? And then one of the doctors came in to check on the cattle and said, yes, you know, because your cattle has been eating, this is happening. So Istau Sise, the main character, mm-hmm. she actually starts, uh, you know, she gets the women, all her friends together and goes into the garbage piles, collects mm-hmm. all this plastic, and then she washes them, converts that plastic into thin plastic threads, mm. and starts creating little bags that she starts selling in the market. Mm, wonderful. So, you know, she not only started eliminating plastic, but she also started educating her community, and in turn, adding jobs, you mm. know, by because all these women were able to make this product and sell it, and actually make a living out of it. So I feel like that book was amazing and it's amazing for anyone and especially children when you're trying to teach them, you know, about sustainable living. Um, and what is the book called again? It's called One Plastic Bag. Okay. Awesome. It's it's really, really nice. Our audience um, can check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another big thing, like I was saying, was, uh, you know, using stainless steel, you know, lunch boxes, mm-hmm. right? There's a very good brand here called Planet Box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've heard of that. Yeah. So they make only stainless steel boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been exclusively, you know, using for Dia. That makes me feel so good. You know, it's small changes. Mm-hmm. And I also told her because I feel like school still, you know, because of access and stuff, schools still use, a, you know, disposable uh, cutlery, mm-hmm. but I always send her either stainless steel or reusable cutlery. And I always tell her, mm. like, you know, you, you should not use it. And small things like that, I feel make a huge difference. Another big thing, you know, Rama, which, you know, is going to be our next episode about uh, sustainable fashion. Mm-hmm. But I, for the past, I want to say two years, 90% of my shopping, I want to say, and I'm very proud of that. It's taken a lot of effort. It's exclusively at thrift stores. Wonderful. I, I've done that too. And I think I did that because you introduced me to some of those stores. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if any of our listeners want to check out and they want to start, you know, somewhere, mm-hmm. I can recommend Beacon's Closet. They have an amazing online store. Mm-hmm. Just read their descriptions and, you know, you can shop there and it's amazing. Yeah. And I feel like that way, you know, uh, another big thing about when you talk about sustainability and fashion, I'll just quickly mention this. When we start shopping only trend, you know, oriented, I feel like that's where your fast fashion comes into play. You constantly want to buy. But when you buy pieces that can last you, you know, you can wear it several different ways. Mm -hmm. That itself, you're reducing consumption and you're being more mindful because you can use it longer. Very true. Yeah. And another big thing that I did, and it was quite the change in our household about three to four months ago Mm -hmm. was... We actually got rid of bounty tissue. Oh, wonderful. How did you achieve that? We completely stopped using it. So what we did was when we moved to our new apartment, mm-hmm. we'd gone to Ikea, a trip to Ikea. Mm-hmm. And we found these um, 
like high absorbent kitchen towels. Mm-hmm. And that's what we just bought. Nice. Came home and I think we had just run out of our last roll of Bounty. Mm-hmm. And I told Arun, I'm like, we're not buying it anymore. Yeah. And we started using that and that's it. I just throw it in the wash with everything and it's done. It's a game changer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do that too. Mm-hmm. And then once you stop using it, you realize you don't really need it. Yeah. You will save money too. Because, you know, I mean, it's not that expensive, but come on. I mean, we can save the money on, um, you know, monies that's spent on these toilet, uh, sorry, not toilets, or kitchen rolls. Mm-hmm. And with uh, the same time, it's sustainable practice too. Yeah, definitely. And always, right, I feel like with everything with sustainability is about need versus want. Exactly. I think that's a fundamental question, Mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. Because I remember after moving here, you know, from India, for everything, there is a gadget. Yeah. Like, for example, if you take in the kitchen, um, you know, there's something to core an apple. There's like a device, a plastic device that you can use to core an apple. Mm -hmm. There is another thing that you can use to cut it like perfectly, to core it and chop it up. Mm -hmm. And another one to mince the garlic for every single thing. And we're like, yeah, while it's great, like, do you realize how much of plastic you're adding to your, you know, pile? Clutter. You know, because all... Clutter. Yeah. And and so I feel like doing all of these things one by one, little by little, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to like, whether you're signing up for a CSA, you know, you're trying to, you know, be, make the entire family aware of like all of these, you know, turn off the lights, do this, do that. Little things every single day Mm -hmm. can make a huge difference. Because the thing with sustainability is it's never, it cannot be done overnight. You can't do a 360, you know, but it's little things you can do. Absolutely. It's taking those baby steps with a lot of awareness Mm -hmm. that helps uh, achieve the goal. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is not one person. One person cannot change this, you know, this world. This is a united thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to be more conscious and uh, move towards a sustainable living because, you know, we are helping future generations. Otherwise, we're just going to be depleting resources. Definitely. And changing the climate. Yeah. Yeah. So I really hope you all enjoyed this episode and took something away, maybe something you did not know, you know, about the practices we did. Yeah. And uh, do write into us, you know, DM us on Instagram or write into us at a chaibakepodcast at gmail.com and tell us, you know, what you think. And, you know, if you have a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And this is what keeps us going. So please give us your feedback. Keep sending those fabulous comments that you've been sending to us and hope you enjoy our episode. And we'll see you in our next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you like what you heard, give us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Have any questions or simply want to drop us a note? We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at chaibreakpodcast at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-I. B-R-E-A-K podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at chai underscore break underscore podcast or visit us at chai break podcast.com. <laughs>